everyone, Lisa J here with another episode of No Pink Spandex, and we have a very special guest on the show today. He has directed many episodes for Power Rangers Ninja Steel and Power Rangers Beast Morphers, and is the current showrunner for Power Rangers Dino Fury. Please welcome executive producer Simon Bennett. Welcome. Hi, thank you very much. Well, Simon, I do have to say, we are talking right after the premiere has aired. Uh, are you breathing a sigh of relief at the moment? <laughs> I am. I really am. Uh, I was so pleased with the um, response it got, judging by Twitter and um, Ranger Board and various online reviews. Like I've been chasing around the internet looking for feedback. And, um, you know, it's been overwhelmingly positive, which is great. And what really gratifies me is that... Um, a lot of the longer-term fans of the show, the adult audience, seem to be enjoying it, as I hope it's reaching the um, the kids it's aimed for. Of course, they don't post much um, online, so I, I don't know about that sector of the audience, but the, maybe the, the, the more hardened, battle-worn, possibly slightly cynical adult audience members certainly seem to be appreciating what we're trying to do with the season. And especially since the older audience has children themselves, so they would be more inclined to say, here, kid, uh, watch what I used to watch. Here you go. <laughs> exactly. You'd hope so. And then they can trawl back through the many, many seasons of historical Power Rangers and share those memories and experiences with their kids as well. There's a lot to watch. I mean, speaking of history... Uh, you are not new to executive producing. I mean, you have been producing many shows like Shortland Street and The Almighty Johnsons and Outrageous Fortune. And even and this is this was one that that caught my eye. Madigan's Quest. Yeah, ah. I, lo I love that show. A lot of these shows, uh, the American centric audience would not be familiar with. So if you could just expound for a little bit, you know, let the people know who you are. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I actually started in theater. I trained as an actor many, many years ago and um, always wanted to be a director and directed theater for 10 years before I moved into um, screen directing. And I worked on a New Zealand medical soap opera, five episodes uh, a week and nightly soap that's been going since 1992 in New Zealand. Very long running, very popular. Um, and I worked on that for about what, 19 years on and off. I was doing other things at the same time, but I had two stints as producer. I started out as a director on that show. Um, and then ultimately I was executive producer when I was head of drama at the company that makes it. I also worked on a show called Outrageous Fortune, which is a New Zealand um, hour-long adult comedy drama series about a, a crime family trying to go straight. And that ran to six seasons. And I directed across five of those seasons and I was executive producer on that. And Almighty Johnson's, which followed um, Outrageous Fortune, which was a uh, New Zealand comedy drama series about a family of brothers who happened to be descended from Norse gods, um, although their powers are very diluted and weak by the time they reach uh, 21st century New Zealand. And Madigan's Quest, which was a kid's fantasy series, which was, I think, only 13 half-hour episodes we made. It was based on a book by Margaret mm -hmm. Mahi, and it was a post-apocalyptic show about a traveling circus troupe um, aimed at kids and young adults 
and Galen Madigan was the lead character. Um, she was the ringmaster's daughter. And they each episode, they were in a different place having to deal with various particular problems. That was my first experience really working in television with fantasy and visual effects and world building. So it's the closest thing I've done to, um, to Power Rangers. Although there's nothing quite like Power Rangers probably in the world, given the way it's made. Um, and as you say, the, the episode went to air on Saturday in the States, which was our Sunday morning. Um, I started reading the online feedback and it is now um, Wednesday. So it's still, it's still pretty fresh. And you know, th th there's not a big gap between us finishing the show and it being on air. Um, and the reason for that is because we pushed our shoot dates by um, a month and a half due to COVID um, situation. And it's pretty much going to air at the normal time. So we finished the show here in New Zealand and I think it's about two weeks later, it's on air in the States. So it's quite tight, that turnaround. And there have been a lot of COVID-related production uh, delays for other productions that are not necessarily in New Zealand. And I know recently that there was a bit of a, a small scare that there are, I think there were a handful of cases that popped up. Did you have plans for that being a thing where it might happen again? And uh, were those timelines planned in to production? We know that there is always a risk that we might have to shut down due to COVID. Um, the main thing is that you know the safety of cast and crew is the number one priority for us and also we work very closely with the government and health ministry uh, requirements we have we have an alert system in new zealand uh, we're at alert level one at the moment which is the safest um, level basically we can pretty much go about our business our borders are closed it's very hard for anyone to get into the country anyone coming into new zealand has to first get a government exemption and then they have to be tested before they come and then do two weeks quarantine when they arrive in the country. So it's strict um, in terms of admitting people, which that and a very rigorous, well-organized contact tracing program is what's enabled us. And being, an, being a small island nation, many miles away from anywhere else is what's helped us stay reasonably COVID safe. Last year, there was about a three month lockdown from March where, where basically the country came to a complete stop. We were at level four, schools were closed, everyone had to stay at home. We could go to the supermarket to get essential food and we could walk and exercise locally, um, but that was the extent of leaving the house. Luckily, we were still in the writing phase of uh, Dino Fury at that stage. So we were all able to keep working via Zoom um, in, in our respective houses. Uh, we did have a small scare last week where I think three cases um, cropped up in a school in, in Auckland. Auckland went to, to a level three lockdown, the rest of the country went to level two. We had stopped filming for three days. But when the government realised they'd done enough testing, everyone who were contacts of the cases were isolated, and the, le the levels were lifted. So we did actually have our first three-day delay due to COVID um, after shooting for 100 days with no problems. As I said, things seem to be clear for now and it's kind of fingers crossed, but we do have contingencies. You know, every, every time an alert level changes, we have different levels of safety um, regulations, restrictions, what we can and can't do. Um, and that's all been very, very well mapped out. 
the hardest case scenario is if we go to say level three, which is one level short of a complete lockdown. And in that scenario, um, you know, social distancing on set is required. Everyone has to wear masks. We can't have extras. We can't shoot stunts. Um, no physical contact between actors. And given, given the nature of Power Rangers, it means there's not a great deal of the show that we can film in level three, because obviously there's a lot of fighting um, and action and stunt work in, in the show that we're making. I mean, this is all really good information to know, especially when a lot of people who are uh, fans of Power Rangers or who have been following the show may not know the intricacies as to production, especially in a COVID-19 world. So thank you for expounding upon that. Uh, I do want to get into a little bit about, I believe I saw on Twitter, you mentioned that there are a lot of new people to the production, maybe not necessarily new to production in general, but who are new to Power Rangers. And yeah, just talk a little bit about how you were able to coalesce these this team in order to make Dino Fury. Okay, well, it's not unusual that people move on within the industry and new people move up. Um, the, the screen industry in New Zealand is quite small. Um, most people who reach a certain level know everyone else, uh, and you seem, seem to get the same combinations of individuals um, working together from show to show to show. Um, and I've been working as a producer and director in the New Zealand industry for 25 years. So I know most of the people who are, um, you know, heads of department who are kind of leading practitioners in all the different areas of production. So I'm in an advantage here. Our previous main unit director of photography retired after Beast Morphers. So we promoted from within and Ollie Jones is our new main unit DP. He was the, um, the camera operator and assistant DP on Beast Morphers. We have a new second unit director of photography, um, Drew Sturge. I'm new, obviously. We have some new writing blood in the writing team. We have a new composer on the season this time around. You know, it just keeps the show fresh. If you get people coming in with new energy and new ideas and a, a, a fresh outlook, I think it's a good thing. Having said that, I'm also 100% reliable on the expertise of people like um, Becca Barnes and Alwyn Dale and Chip Lynn, who are the key writers on the show and have been involved. This is their fourth season that they've developed and written because writing a show like Power Rangers is um, extremely challenging and quite unique because it's reverse engineered from the Sentai um, footage. Um, and using that as a starting point for world building, developing characters and developing a whole season is a very specialized area. You know, it may seem easy because a show, uh, you know, a half hour kid show like Power Rangers is quite formulaic in some ways, but coming up with a large volume of episodes, each of which has a unique story, each of which highlights a different range of character, which cumulatively give our key characters arcs across the season so that the audience who follows the show episode to episode feels that there's character development and, and are rewarded in the way in which that character development plays out. And developing characters that are going to give you plenty of story potential um, and sets and situations and scenarios that are going to provide compelling stories with high stakes. That is the normal bread and butter of developing a drama series. But the fact that it's tied to Sentai is unique. 
And then you've got this huge body of, of law of all the previous seasons, not to mention the comics and the various other iterations of Power Rangers that complicate things because there's that whole question of what is canon, what isn't. And um, I don't think Power Rangers on the whole was written with any consistent understanding of what canon was. And it's, it, it's built up, accumulated, all these rules and sub-rules and dimensions and sub-dimensions and pocket dimensions that were never intended to be understood or described in that way. And if you do try and extract consistent rules or logic from the huge body of Power Rangers material that exists, then you just fall down this kind of black hole of despair because it actually doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that, that, those, are, those are all some of the challenges that we have to deal with. And I, I, I'm just very grateful that I have people like Becker and Alwyn and Chip who have been with the show long enough to know what's important, what isn't, and also have a historical understanding of the various seasons in the past and are able to help me get my head around it. Because when I started as a director on Ninja Steel and then sort of grew as a director on, on Beast Morphers, um, I found, because I hadn't been a watcher of Power Range, I didn't know anything about it when I started working on the show, it was so confusing. What are these Zords? Uh, what is a Megazord? Um, what is morphing? What is a morpher? What is a mor how does a morphing sequence work? What am I expected to shoot? You know, there's quite a lot to learn. Um, but it is cumulative and it does become very fascinating and it does become um, quite addictive. And what I find really rewarding about it is the ability to break new ground, even, in, it's, even if it's baby steps, is to actually say, okay, these are the rules that everyone kind of more or less agrees on. There'll always be arguments around the periphery. Given these rules, what can we do that makes something that's a bit fresh, that's going to actually keep the, the, the kids hooked and engaged and thrilled, but also, um, you know, throw some bones of delight to the older fans who will go, wow, that's really cool. Because I want people who know Power Rangers to, to watch the show and think, oh, that's cool. Oh, I never knew they were going to do that. Oh, wow, they actually did that. They went there. I never thought they were going to. Those kinds of things um, are very rewarding to see those little bombs go off amongst the audience as they as they watch the show. I'm very careful with what I say um, in terms of on Twitter or, or online about not giving away spoilers. There's so many things coming up that are just going to blow the tops of the heads off some of the super fans um, that I'm not going to talk about and can't talk about, but I just can't wait for people to see them. Well, sir, let's talk about one of those bombs, <laughs> shall we? We shall. In the yeah. premiere, right? I mean, first off, it was it was so nice to have a good solid premiere that had bits and pieces of like here's you know here's a little bit comedic moments with the with the main rangers and here's like oh look here's a little easter egg oh that's nice that's great but then sir then sir uh we saw the morphin masters sir so I w uh, please explain yourself <laughs> how when who what where i mean and and to be more specific, what was the germination? Where did this come from that they were going to be the ones to directly give the the Dino Fury powers to the team 65 million years ago? It is a bit of a um, left field idea. Uh, where it came from was when we were first starting to look at developing the show that would become Dino Fury, there was a lot of conversation um, amongst the writers and with Chiplin and with the Hasbro people 
about, you know, one of the problems with this franchise is each season is quite so standalone and uh, uh, um, its own thing. There isn't actually a lot of connective tissue that um, connects all these different seasons. And wouldn't it be nice if there was a bit more of a, um, a universe that everyone understood that each particular um, uh, a range of season fitted into. So it was looking at wh how, what could we do? What could we do um, to reverse engineer the show so that there were some things that um, could be seen to have actually affected Power Rangers and be part of the world of the show since it very first began. And, and Chip, Chip came up with the, um, the Morphin Masters idea. They'd been mentioned very briefly. They had a little cameo, I think, in, in, in Mighty Morphin way back early in the day. And then the Boom comics had picked up on them and developed them in their own particular way. Um, and, and Chip thought, let's have them as the kind of godlike entities, these, these super beings whose role is to protect the Morphin Grid, who don't get involved in um, the everyday affairs of people very much. But who knows, given that they are the guardians of the grid, who knows what behind the scenes um, string pulling could have been going on if the Morphin Masters were actually watching and maybe having some kind of involvement in terms of steering the history of Power Rangers um, right through the history of the franchise. So, so that was kind of the idea behind bringing them in. And it was about, as I said at the outset, it was about trying to, and it's only one of the ways in which we're, we're doing this. It was about, uh, it was a device to try and unify more all the um, historical Power Rangers seasons under one umbrella. It, it, it's, it, it's a big ask, like the, the super fans are going to be um, thinking very hard about, so that thing that happened in that season, does that mean, or does that mean, and bring it on, I, I welcome it. Um, but enough to say that, that episode one was a good foretaste of more things to come in the season along those law-based lines. I mean, because you you did you you did stir up some things. I mean, people, you know, we used to ten thousand years ago, ten like we're used to that, and then it's like, oh wait, no, no, there was a team before everything, uh, especially for me as an African American woman. I appreciated seeing a well, he is black and Asian, but I I appreciated seeing a black man play an alien in Hollywood because we don't, we don't normally get a lot of those. We, we get, we get the trauma and the biopics and the more trauma. That is not a question. That's just me saying, thank you. That's, that's just me saying, thank you. No, that's great. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's great to hear. And the other thing of course, is that history is subjective. Um, you know, h history is controlled by whoever happens to have the loudest voice or, 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 or the position of authority or power at any particular time. And who's to say what the actual history of Power Rangers was? Um, mm -hmm. Just because Zordon says one thing, that <laughs> doesn't mean there were other things in the mix as well. But he may have been withholding or may not have been entirely sure about. I know that as an executive producer, a lot of people may put like everything is under your purview like you are the one that making all of these decisions what are some of the biggest misconceptions that fans may have 
about being an executive producer of Power Rangers? I'm not sure. I mean, I do think it's quite a unique position, um, particularly on the show. And one of the reasons for that is because the production is based in New Zealand and it's a long way away from Hasbro, who obviously are, ba are based in the States, and E1 and the various other entities that are involved in, in Power Rangers. So while there is a, you know, there's a day-to-day -day connection, I, I very much am responsible for all the key decisions that get made creatively about the show. And I rely on the imaginations and the creativity that, you know, say the writers or the directors or the costume designers or the visual effects artists or the composer, all these creative people bring to the show. But my job is to guide them and make sure that they share the same vision so that, that, that the vision that underpins the show we're making is unified. And in a way, it's the one that that I've got in my head that comes from working very closely with the writers in developing the show. I mean, I read every script. I'm involved in every story concept. I will, I will critique what the writers come up with. I'm not a writer myself. I'm a director by trade, but I do work very closely with the writers and I'm used to doing that. Um, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm involved in the, in the casting. Um, I'm, I work with the designer on the set design very closely. I work with the DP on the shooting style and the directors on the shooting style. My job is to communicate what's important about the stories to the directors, as well as um, what's important about the characters, because the directors only deal with a small piece of the picture, the, the two or three episodes they happen to be working on at any one time. Whereas I've got to have to, I'm the person who has the sense of how that fits into the bigger picture, and I have to make sure the directors understand that. Um, I'm responsible for the final cut of every episode. So I work closely with the editors. I work with the composer. Um, I basically, I work with the visual effects artists. So I um, describe each of the visual effects shots and then I approve each of the visual effects shots as, the, as they are developed and go through various drafts. I go to the sound mix and I give notes on the sound mix and I approve the final mix. So every aspect of the show from the germ of the ideas is the story through to the finished episode, I have um, signed off on or, or been across or been involved with the people who are responsible for that part of the job. I have to be this massive generalist. I have to understand what everyone does on the show, being be able to communicate with them in a way that makes sense to them so that they can um, change, improve, modify what they're doing if necessary, or say, that's fantastic, that's exactly what we're looking for, more of that, please. I guess the hardest thing for me is time. You know, I, I probably do 14 hour days, I would say six days a week. That's the amount of time I'm working on the show. And when I'm not working on the show, because I have a family, um, part of my brain is distracted with thinking about the show. <laughs> so there is only so much time in the day and, and my, my, my time is just jam packed. I, I just go from meeting to meeting to, to, to screening to, to um, editing to sound post. You know, I, I'm just, I'm at the mercy of the schedule and um, I've just got to be on the whole time. And by that, I mean 100% familiar with the material able to answer questions about any one of, say, 22 episodes at a time in a way that is correct. Because if I give the wrong answer, someone might go away and work for a week on that thing based on my answer. And then if I gave the wrong answer, that's a week's worth 
of work that's wasted. I mean, it's complicated. I'm just trying to, um, I suppose, create a picture of what my day job involves. It's fundamentally creative. Luckily, other people deal with things like contracts and schedules and logistics. And I have a very good team who are responsible for those things. So I'm the backstops here person as far as all aspects of the show that are creative are concerned, if that makes sense. It does, actually. People don't realize how much it entails. I mean, how many people work under you? Someone did a breakdown of a previous season. I think it's a, a crew of about 700. These are contractors who, who work on various aspects of the show. And performers, about 1,400. Now, that, that includes you know, small parts and extras, but that's kind of the scale of it. That's the number of people. By New Zealand standards, it's huge. I mean, my background is in New Zealand drama, and this is my first American show, and it's much, much bigger. And that I mean, there are more resources, there are a lot more people working on the show. There is more time. It feels tight, and it is fast turnaround because we're producing three episodes every two weeks. But we have two units shooting full time. So to shoot three episodes, it might be nine days main unit, nine days second unit. That's a total of 18 days to shoot three 22-minute episodes. Where, where is it important to put the resources? Um, what do we need to focus on? Forget about all of that. That's just icing. This is the thing we need to get right and nail. So those kinds of um, decisions are important. Well, Simon, I do thank you for your insight and just breaking down the nooks and crannies of what makes this show this show. We watched the premiere. Was there any Easter eggs that fans may have missed that you were like, aha, they didn't catch that yet? No, I would say that the, the fans, from what I can tell reading feedback online, are very smart and always two steps ahead of the show. And, and we know that. And something else I'd say is that um, episode two is very much a continuation of episode one and that there's a whole lot more Easter eggs and set up and things to discover in episode two. In my head, they're very much a two-parter. So one of the tricky things with setting up a new show and a new world is that there is so much stuff you have to set up. You can't fit it all into an episode one. So there's a lot more that is new and fresh in episode two that hopefully will be equally fascinating and delightful to fans. For people who are listening, watch Power Rangers Dino Fury uh, every Saturday at 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Central on Nickelodeon. All right, make sure you uh, make sure you get up and watch, okay? <laughs> okay, all right. Thank you so much again, Simon, for your time. Thank you very much.